Welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the greatest business minds to have ever put pen to paper. We believe that each and every book we cover in this podcast offers you a wealth of knowledge, but we want to do so much more for you than that. With that in mind, we're beyond excited to tell you that in the coming weeks, we're going to be offering you a suite of digital tools that we've been working on for quite a while. If you're new to the podcast, you should understand that our philosophy is that there's three pillars to ensuring that deeper learning occurs. You must first understand the concept, the new knowledge. You then must remember it. And then thirdly, you must go and deliberately practice it. Reading the book or getting the digital summary, and yes, even listening to this podcast, you'll achieve the first. You'll understand what is to be learned. And if you stop there, you will forget on average over 90% of what you heard or read within one week. We want to empower you to achieve deeper learning through the two remaining pillars, to remember and to deliberately practice. And here's how you'll do it. You'll remember the key takeaways from the books with our quick read summaries that focus on the actionable content. These summaries are going to enable you to commit the actionable content to your long-term memory. To deliberately practice these actionable contents or these key takeaways, you're going to use your personal digital action log. You decide when and where to practice your chosen key takeaway. It could be to be proactive, to begin with the end in mind, to be comfortable in an awkward silence during a sales conversation. Whatever the key takeaway is, record it into your digital action log, go out into the world, deliberately practice it, and come back and record your results and your feedback and rinse and repeat. For more details, get onto our mailing list at usebecause.com forward slash subscribe. Okay. On with the show. I am well aware that every single time I start a podcast, I say the book we're covering today is absolutely fantastic and brilliant and all that. But the book we're covering today is absolutely brilliant and fantastic. It's Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Now, Kim Scott, uh, she she has built a career in Silicon Valley and she has worked with basically all the all the top companies she uh, worked closely with Larry Page in, in Google. She worked with uh, Sheryl Sandberg, who was her mentor and her friend. I think in Facebook and in Google, if I remember right, having uh, read the book. And this book is essentially about, well, the, the tagline kind of sums it up. It says, how to get what you want by saying what you mean. So when it comes to leadership, especially if you're new to a, to a leadership position, it can be hard to know where to begin how do I get my point across? She talks about something in this book that she calls uh, ruinous empathy. And that's the idea of of not wanting to hurt somebody's feelings, of telling somebody their work is great or that it's okay, we'll fix it, or you're obviously stressed, or, you know, just saying all the nice things or what you think are the nice things because you're you're being too empathetic, you're being too too nice you're 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 not saying it how it is so the whole premise of this book is the author kim scott talking about how she learned radical candor from both having exceptional bosses and from having terrible bosses and from uh, she's really honest about the mistakes she made with people um there was one guy who who had she told him he, he came with a, with a fantastic cv and into whichever company she was, at, she was at at the time and uh she expected huge things from him the first project that he completed and presented to her was rubbish it was nonsense but rather than you know telling him straight that your work isn't up to scratch she 
pretty much agreed to fix it herself. And she made all sorts of excuses for him. And what she says about this particular guy was interesting. Like, obviously, the, the guy, he hadn't lied on his CV. He had a, he had a, he had a good um, reputation coming into the organisation. He just obviously hadn't settled or, you know, whatever reasons people don't get on well in jobs. So he knew that his work wasn't up to scratch. So he began to lose faith in her because she wasn't telling it as it was. She wasn't being honest. She wasn't being radically candid with him. And that's the point of this book is that it's about making sure that you are radically candid with people, that you're not being mean for being mean's sake, but you're also not trying to be liked by everyone. So she breaks the book down into two parts. The first part is about, you know, understanding the new world of work. And I've talked about this previously before. And I'll, I'll get into it now in a second. But the second part then is, is tools and techniques for actually achieving this. Um, eight chapters in total. I think there's um, an index or like a, you know, a summary thing as well, conclusion. But the first part of the book, she talks about how the, the world of work has changed. Now, I talk about this in, in one of our first podcasts on uh, To Sell as Human by Dan Pink. And in that book, in, the, in To Sell as Human, he talks about how the world of sales has changed because of what he calls information parity. This idea that we all have access to the same information. With sales, previously, it used to be all about making sure that the, the used car salesman, he had all the information about the car, and his job was to convince you that you know this was a good purchase. Whereas these days, he talk, in that book, he talks about how you go in to buy a car in one of the more modern uh, used car places. They'll turn the screen towards you and they'll be a consultant to you rather than being a gatekeeper. And this is what she talks about in this book as well, Radical Candor, is that the world has changed because it's it's not just about uh, command and control anymore. It used to work that, well, it didn't, I don't know if it ever actually worked, but it used to be the way that your boss, your manager would tell you what to do and you'd go and do it. You'd clock in and clock out, you know, and, and do your day's work. Whereas these days with, you know, the internet and uh, technology and all those kind of things, and I suppose an understanding that being an asshole doesn't actually, it's not necessary to get things done. Her point is that you should, for, the first thing she talks about is to build rad- radically candid relationships by bringing your whole self to work. She talks about making sure that you're, you're not trying to be friends with people, you're not trying to be liked by people, but you're also not trying to, to be a character in your office either. I always think about when, you know when you hear people asking, you know, a rich person, you know, how did you become rich or a, a successful sports star, how did you do it? I always think it's a really stupid question how did you become rich? And because the answer was always going to be, I built myself into the kind of person who becomes rich. There's no three-step process for how to become rich. Like those get-rich-quick schemes, they never work. Not in the long term. And it's the same thing here about becoming a good leader. What's the, t- like, and some of the books we've covered, and I, I think it's important that we do cover these books as well, the Seven Secrets of Leadership or, you know, the Four Must-Haves of a Great Leader, whatever their book's title is completely made up, but they sound like good books, I'd like to read them. My whole, my point is, though, that there's never just seven things, there's never just four things, there's never just one big secret. You have to build yourself into the kind of person who becomes a leader. And I guess that's what she's talking about in the, in the first chapter, is to bring your whole self to work. It's to build yourself into the kind of person who isn't putting on a performance from nine to five and then kind of, oh, you know, dropping that big heavy coat 
of uh, of expectation that's on your own shoulders and, and then being your real self. It's being your authentic self, but it's making sure that your authentic self is a leader, that, the, that you understand what leadership actually is. So building radically candid relationships is to ensure that you are creating an environment where you can be honest with people about their work, but that they can also be honest with you about your leadership style or about your management style or about um, your, how you're managing a particular project, for example. So building candid relationships, bringing your whole self to work is to ensure that you are the kind of person or you're building yourself into the kind of person who is a leader, but you're being genuine and authentic while you're doing it. And part of being genuine and authentic is being okay with not being liked. You have responsibility to the company. Your responsibility is to protect your team to a point, but if they're dragging their heels or if they're dragging the team down, you need to be able to address that. That's her point in the, in the first part of the book. She talks about being caring and direct, which builds on that really. It's, it's you can emotionally care about somebody and as part of emotionally caring about somebody is to be direct with them. I think about my 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 youngest child at the moment is uh, he's struggling to stay in bed <laughs> at night time. And I obviously adore him, I love him, but kissing him and cuddling him at two o'clock in the morning does neither of us any favours. I have to be direct with him. And my wife and I are a very good team uh, with these kinds of things. And yet we decide every night, okay, what are we going to do tonight to try and get him to stay in bed? And it could be sometimes giving him a bottle. It could be, you know, doing whatever, sitting him on your knee just for a couple of seconds. But the most important thing is for him to understand what's expected. You're, you're getting into that bed and going to put the covers over you and you're going to go back to sleep. There's no point, you know, sharing him with love and attention at that point of the night because you're in, in the long run, you're not doing him any favours. In the long run, he's going to get into a bad sleep pattern. He'll get to start getting anxious, going to bed. So I care about him, obviously, but I have to be direct with him. Now, I'm not comparing the people that you're managing to a two-year-old who stamps his foot and says, no, my point is, it's the same approach. You can care about somebody, but be direct with them. Now, this is where it gets interesting, I think, because that idea of being direct with somebody, what does that really mean? Does it mean you can just, you know, you, you can't, you can't, you, you can be direct, but you can be too direct, right? You don't want to be too direct. You want, you want to make sure that you are getting that balance correct between caring and being direct. And I think this is one of the reasons that Use Because started really was that when you read a book like Radical Candor or you read a book like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or To Sell as Human, right? Whichever book that you're interested in, if you're really taking it in, if you're really reflecting on what's been written on what your what your understanding is you'll find that it's easier said than done these things so caring and direct that's easier said than done in the moment in the moment where you're having to you know be direct with somebody about the quality of their work while still caring about them what does that really mean and the truth is there is no answer to these things there, there's no one specific answer just like the the billionaire can't tell you what they did to become rich in, in a succinct sentence. A really good leader can't tell you what you need to do in every particular situation. 
one of the things we we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast was the uh, the action log that we have, and I'm I'm let me just talk about it very specifically for a moment. That action log is is built for you to do specifically these things. The next opportunity you have to be caring and direct, you'll go and you'll deliberately practice it. So in the action log, what you would do is you'd go and say, right, well, on Wednesday, four o'clock, uh, I have to have a, a conversation with whoever it is. Their work is not up to scratch. I'm going to deliberately practice being caring and direct and you can bullet point out what it is you're going to do. And then once that meeting is finished, come back to your action log, write in your feedback. And you can go and you actually we put in a thing where you can email it yourself then as well and, and reflect on it. And then come back, reset it and go again for the next time you want to be, you want to deliberately practice being caring and direct. The whole point is that this soft skills or what we, we call behavioral skills, there's fuzzy edges on them. A lot of the time, people come to our podcast, it seems, or people come to our platform, from what I can make out, with great technical skills. And technical skills, they're obviously, they're not easy to master, but they're it's it's straightforward to know how to master them. If I can do these ten tasks and the result is this particular new website appears or the bridge gets built, whatever the thing is, I can I can improve my technical skills that way. Whereas with soft skills or behavioral skills, it's more it's more difficult than that. And that's why you have to continuously deliberately practice these things and see what works for you and, and see what doesn't. And I think it's just as important to deliberately practice these things and go, well, that didn't work at all. I'm going to abandon that. I'm going to come back to that in a, in a month's time and see if I can do it again. So, um, yeah, that's the, the action log. That's what being, and I'm just kind of using that as an example to be to be caring and direct. Um, easier said than done. You have to interpret that in your own way and to understand what's going to work for you and, what, and how it matches your own personality. One of the things that she says about being caring and direct is to be is is it's a delicate skill in providing guidance and criticism while being helpful. Right? Easy to read that off a page. Trying to that at, you know, four o'clock on a on a Wednesday where um, somebody who you could be friendly with is not producing the work that they need to produce. How how do you actually make that happen? The next thing then, um the next chapter then is about get, give and encourage guidance. So you need to get guidance for yourself, you need to give guidance, and you need to encourage others to guide each other. So there's a lot to unpack there as well. That get guidance, right? One of the one of the worst one of the worst types of people I can't stand is the ambitious idiot. Have you ever met that guy or woman who is ambitious but they're an idiot? They are they're aggressive in their lack of intelligence they don't there's a thing called the uh, Dunning-Kruger um, is it the Dunning-Kruger number or the Dunning-Kruger constant or something like that where the higher you are on the scale it was these two guys Dunning and Kruger who uh, came up with this uh, experiment uh, where this, this Dunning-Kruger I wish I should I should have looked it up before I didn't know I was going to say this but anyway I, I should have looked it up but uh, the Dunning-Kruger constant let's call it or Dunning-Kruger number uh, basically the higher your number is the, the stupider you are <laughs> and it's based on people not even understanding what they don't know like Donald Trump being a pretty good example probably that he is so beyond help at this stage and at his age you're never going to change him he's convinced he's right and there's n- nothing you say is ever going to convince him otherwise he's never going to change who he is so this Dunning-Kruger number is is about those ambitious idiots who are 
just convinced they're right. They don't need to learn from anybody. They don't need what she says in chapter two. They don't need this guidance. So they never look for it. But if you want to be a great leader, you need to go and get guidance from the people who report to you, from the people who you're leading. Ask them, what, what's my, and, be, and what you have to do while you're getting guidance is you have to make sure it doesn't sound like a, like a trap. Like uh, there's there's going to be consequences if you give the wrong answer. That's part of your job as well, is to, is to cultivate an environment where um, they it feels safe. It feels like they can offer up constructive criticism without getting the head taken off them. So you need to get guidance, you need to give guidance, and you need to encourage others to do it as well. One of the best things that... Um, uh, it's actually Joe Rogan on his podcast. You hear him talk about it a lot when it comes to... Uh, stand-up comedy, if I'm sure you know who Joe Rogan is, he's, a, he's a, the biggest podcast in the world, and he is a UFC commentator and a stand-up comic. He talks about how it isn't a zero-sum game when it comes to stand-up comedy. It used to be, like 20 years ago, before the advent of the internet, where people were doing stand-up shows, hopefully to get noticed, so hopefully they could get a TV show. And it was a zero-sum. If you get it, that means I didn't. Whereas these days with podcasts, with, uh, you know, everything that's out there, it, he celebrates people. So what he does is he encourages people and he gives guidance to people. And that's that's a real sign of leadership where you're genuinely happy to help other people get promoted, to get a, above you, to, to like, and even above you is the, is, the, is the wrong phrase, really. Like somebody who is going to accelerate through their career possibly quicker than you, you have to be okay with that. That's the sign of a good leader that they're, they're happy to let other people, you know, move on. So you're going to get guidance, you're going to give guidance, and that comes back to that being caring and directing, and you're going to encourage others to guide as well. She mentions the film The Devil, the Devil Wears Prada with uh, Meryl Streep and um, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway was also William Shakespeare's uh, wife's name. There you are, that's for free. The Devil Wears Prada, like that was like Meryl Streep played this boss who was an absolute bitch, right? That was the whole point and Anne Hathaway could do nothing right. But that that became kind of commonplace or that be, kind of became accepted for a long time. And I suppose it still is in some places. Places like Google actually have changed that and it's something that she talks about in, in Radical Candor that uh, you like if you're a manager, you cannot promote somebody yourself in Google, it has to go to a, a team and um, you can appeal the decision either way, as far as I understand it, but you don't get to make the decision. So it has to be, you know, done by other people. So anyway, she, she talks about the Devil Wears Prada as an example of um, toxicity, I suppose, in the workplace and how anybody can kind of get themselves into this position, think they know it all and they never have to do much else then. Really radical candor then is about being, being caring uh, while being open and honest. And I always think of um, the uh, Britain's Got Talent or uh, what's the other one? X Factor. Like the, you, we've seen the people go on there and their family are standing in the wings kind of wishing them well and the person starts singing and they haven't got a note in their head. That's that's a great example of, you know, being too caring and not direct enough or not being open and honest is that, you know, it, 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 reality is going to hit hard um, to those people and, and it always does. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was uh, ruinous empathy, trying to avoid that conflict. Conflict is okay. I think sometimes, like in 
I don't know, in, in a marriage, in a friendship, in the workplace, sometimes having a blowout is necessary, is to have a blazing row. As long as there's rules, as long as there is, it's a safe environment that people uh, don't, you know, get personal or bring up uh, previous things. You talk about the thing that you're talking about and, and sometimes that can be the way to do it, I suppose. Uh, the example she gives in the book is that, say somebody who reports directly to you uh, does a presentation and you say, oh, it was pretty good because you don't want to have the awkward conversation that it was terrible. One of the chapters she she calls the um story that she was giving a presentation to, I, I think it was in Google, uh, to like Larry Page and Sergey Brin and all the, the, the people in that kind of room. And Sheryl Sandberg was there, who is now with uh, Facebook. And the author, Kim Scott, she was reporting directly to Sheryl Sandberg. And the presentation went really well. And uh, they were, you know, everything went fine and whatever. And afterwards then Cheryl said, you say um too much. Uh, but in the author's mind, in Kim Scott's mind, she was like, yeah, but like, you know, presentation went really well. They're really happy with what we're doing. And Cheryl Sandberg said it again, said, yeah, well, you know, it, it can be distracting or whatever. And she was trying to be, she was trying to be caring. She was being caring. She cared about this, this Kim Scott. She, and she's still good friends with her from what I understand. having read the book. And Kim Scott was not getting it. She was not understanding it. And she said, uh, Cheryl Sandberg looked her directly in the eye and said, when you say um that much, it makes you sound stupid. And you're not stupid. And that really hit home. That was like as direct as it can get. You sound stupid when you keep saying um the whole time. Like, um, um, it makes you sound stupid. That was Cheryl Sandberg's point. And even though probably stung in the moment, you can't help but appreciate when somebody just is that direct with you. When somebody can just... Uh, care about you enough to rip that band-aid off if you like so ruinous empathy empathy is the is the opposite of that is where you're, you just you won't have that direct conversation with somebody because it's a misplaced fear of of hurting somebody's feelings but really in the long run you're you're hurting the person even worse it's like me putting the two-year-old to bed that like when he wakes up at two o'clock in the morning i could i could be nice to him and and um, sit him on my knee and let him watch telly and do all those things it would be ridiculous I'm hurting him in the long run by doing that. I have to be direct and tell him exactly what I want or what I expect from him at that particular moment. She talks then about what motivates each person on your team. So this is uh, the third chapter. And uh, again, this was at, at Google where she was responsible for hiring the support team. And she tried to, to, to fancy this up that, you know, being on the support team was having a huge knock-on effect, like the butterfly effect, you know, um, further up the chain, all these... Well, when somebody gets their answer from the support team, it means that X, Y, and Z can happen further down the line. And somebody called her out on it. Somebody said, listen, my job does not need to be meaningful. There is no point trying to give meaning to my role when there clearly is no meaning. It's mundane, it's repetitive. Uh, it doesn't have that much of an impact on the billions and billions that the, that the company is making. And it's something I learned uh, when I read, read that in the book. I was like, that is a really good point because I've done that before when I've managed people where I've I've tried to shoehorn in meaning where there clearly was no meaning. Like there was no loftier goal than you just need to get those emails answered. That's like, there's no point trying to, because you're insulting people's intelligence. But she said, what you need to do is that you, you, you can be honest about that. Yep. You don't have to, you know, go on and on about it. Like, yep, the work is, is repetitive. It's, it's mundane. But what you can do as a leader 
is to help people take a step in the direction of what is whatever it is that they want to do, even if it means that thing that they want to do is outside of the company that you're working for. You can help them get into roles that'll in the company you're in that'll build up a skill set for them that they can then transfer to something else. So that to me personally, that was a huge one. That uh, y- y- it's not your job to give them meaning in their in this person's role. Whoever it is reports to you, it's not your job to 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 get to solve all their existential questions about how they're spending a third of their life in work. But you can provide the information to help them move up the ladder. You can help them get onto courses. You can help them get into projects that could be of value to them. That's hugely, hugely important. And then the next point she makes is tied to that one. You have to know the difference between a superstar and a rock star. So a superstar is somebody who's going to move up quickly. They're going to get the job done and they are, you know, tied to a rocket and they are just going to go, go and go and go. That's a superstar, somebody who's going to be like, you know, head of the organization. Whereas a rock star, that's the person on your team who likes the consistency, who likes uh, doing the job that they're doing. They like doing it well. They will perform if there's stability. And you have to know the difference between the superstar and the rock star. I've, I've seen it in jobs I've been in where the best salesperson on the team gets promoted to manager. And it's a, it's a disaster. A lot of the time, these people are not even asked if they want to be promoted. You're the best salesperson, so you should be the manager. That's the promotion for you. It's a totally different skill set. Selling and managing are two completely different things. So you have to identify who are the superstars, who are the people who, who talk about wanting to be promoted, or who are the people... And again, this comes down to you making sure that you're able to build an environment or a culture in your team where people are comfortable about talking about where they want to go and what they want to do. So you, that's one way you can help identify the superstars is by is by asking them, by by talking about well, what would you love to be doing? Like, you, do, you, do you like doing this job? Are you happy doing this job? And they might just say, yeah, fine, I love it. Help them do their job better then. Whatever they need, help them get it. That's your, that's your job as a leader. But the superstars are the ones who are, like I said, tied to a rocket and they just want to go, go, go. So know the difference between a superstar and a rock star. And don't assume that somebody is one or the other. She talks then about uh, firing people, right? If you need to let somebody go, it's a bad experience for everybody around, everybody involved. So you have to consider deeply before doing it. You can't just do it off the cuff. Um, even for, she talks about even the legal reasons where the, the blowback that can come from, from not going through the, the proper procedure or policies that are in your organization. Your job is to be caring and direct, is to make every effort to help them improve. But then you also have to balance that with, is this person demoralizing the rest of the team or are they just annoying or do they just not know what the uh, where the line is or where the boundary is? Get a third-party opinion. Get get an opinion for some, from somebody who is not involved with your team. I always, when I read that, actually, I, I thought back to when I first started. I've had other businesses before, but when you start a business or when you come up with a business idea, you, you want everyone to tell you that it's great. You want everyone to tell you that it is the best idea they've ever heard and of course they'd buy the thing, whatever it is that you want them to buy. And you'll ask your friends and your family and the problem is they're completely biased. They either, one of two things happen. They want to support you so they tell you everything is great and they just they can't see the wood for the trees or 
they're aware that they're biased, so they go too far the other way and they just rip it apart. And neither opinion is very good. The opinion that you're looking for is the balanced opinion from somebody who doesn't have time to talk to you. It's the opinion for, from somebody who just is not emotionally invested, does not have a dog in the fight, as it were. Same thing about when it comes to firing somebody. It's the same approach is to don't be too emotional about it. Don't ask your team about it. Ask somebody, get a third party opinion from somebody who is not going to be afraid to hurt your feelings because you might be the problem. It could be in your management style. So managers should not tell people what to do. You should practice collaborative leadership. This is comes back to that Dan Pink book, to, to sell as human. Sales is different. Leadership is different. It has to be a collaboration. Your job really as a leader is to make sure that you are giving the team the tools that they need to get their job done and not using it as rope to hang them. It's not, not using it as a way to... Um, not using it as a, as, as a way to kind of trap them or it has to be a safe environment. And, and it sounds a bit fluffy when you say it like that. Uh, but you, you have to cl- create that collaborative environment where, you, and one of the best ways to do it is to admit your own mistakes, is to say, I'm actually, I don't know what to do here. I'm not, I'm open to suggestions on this because, you know, uh, uh, I'm at a loss. It's okay. That kind of showing that, that vulnerability or that, uh, that little chink in your armor is okay too. She, te- she tells a lot of stories actually about Steve Jobs, and um, you've probably read, read a lot or heard a lot about Steve Jobs and how he managed. One of his favorite things to say to people is, "Your work is shit," and you know, convince me otherwise, kind of thing. And uh, sometimes Steve Jobs would have uh, an idea about something, and he expected people to argue to the death with him. Right? They expected people to. Uh, not to bully him, but like to, to to meet him punch for punch, basically, when it came to why you think your way is best because I think my way is best. And he'd be furious if somebody gave up and it turned out that that person who gave up was right. If if they went to do something and Steve won the argument and then it turned out Steve should not have won the argument, then he would go crazy at somebody. You know, so it's, it's one way of leading, right? That is collaborative leadership. There's probably better ways of doing it. Um, well, maybe not. You know, he built a huge company. Who knows? Maybe it's the right way of doing it, but not right for me. I wouldn't be doing it that way. But what you talked about when it comes to the collaborative leadership is uh, three main things: is to really listen to your team. One of the best ways you can listen to somebody is to reflect when when they tell you something is to reflect it back in your own words and make sure that you understand their point. Because it, it's is it a George Bernard Shaw quote? Uh, biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it happened and it's so true that like you you think yeah i get it i get it i get it but reflect back so what i'm hearing from you is x y and z so really listen to your team give time and space to develop ideas give time and space for ideas it's it's one of the things probably a lot of people on this uh podcast listen to this podcast are probably on a lot of um webinars and zoom calls with the, the way the world is at the moment and uh one of the things is those awkward silences on, on Zoom calls and on, on webinars. But it's important, especially if you're in training, if, if somebody is training, it's important for them to say, is there any questions? And then wait a good 10, 15 seconds because it takes people time to, well, do I have any questions? Maybe I'll ask, maybe, am I sure about that? I'm not sure. To think about what their question actually is and then find the mouse to try and unmute themselves. Those give. It's kind of a, a smaller example but give time and space for these ideas to develop. She talks about Tim Cook, who is the CEO of Apple now, who will allow 
gloriously long silences so that he doesn't have to talk. He wants other people to talk. And that's a really interesting way to lead is that uh, you don't you don't necessarily have to be you shouldn't be the one talking all the time. Like the CEO, the CEO should really be the stupidest person in the room. They should surround themselves with people who know better than they do. And again, it comes back to Steve Jobs. He said, I don't hire people so I can tell them what to do. I hire them so they can tell us what to do. Like that's the whole point is that they're we're hiring an expert into our organization so that you can tell us what we can do better. So allow time and space to, for ideas to develop, especially in meetings. Be okay with those awkward silences. Be okay with things being uh, quiet for a while because people don't have a question right there and then. They don't know you're about to ask, does anyone have a question? So give time and space. Third thing then is to uh, allow healthy debate. Right? Allow those debates to happen. And one of the best ways to allow those healthy debates to happen is to create that environment where they can happen. And as the leader of the team, you can do that by being quiet, by letting other people talk. <laughs> you ever see on The Apprentice with um, Alan Sugar, where the, you know he has to fire somebody, and it's a bit of a ridiculous show. Like it's 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 just entertainment. But he does an interesting thing where he doesn't interrupt them. Where you know when there's three people left and one of them's about to be fired, and they all start blaming each other, right? He doesn't interrupt and say, well, you said this and she said that. He just watches it play out. Now, that's not a healthy debate. It's, you know, it's they don't know each other that well, those people on the show, and they haven't created an environment where a healthy debate can happen. But Alan Sugar's approach is interesting, where he just allows it to happen. And you're just kind of absorbing the information. And that's what you can, that's something you can take from, from The Apprentice, uh, believe it or not. Is That's one way to allow healthy debate, is to, is to not interject as much as you think you want to. Just allow the debate to happen. Another thing she says then is to bat for your team to other departments and then make sure that it's delivered, whatever the thing is. So if if you're if you're the leader and you're having to report up the chain, you know, on a particular project or on a particular um, uh, deliverable, you have to make sure that you are defending your team and they know that they're defended but also okay well look I'm after saying we're going to have this done by next Friday so as a team we're going to get this done by by next Friday um what else then so she says as well you should drive results collaboratively that's kind of you know we talked about that that's chapter four and uh, telling people what to do doesn't work we all know that that's you should know that anyway and she talks about the GSD wheel the get stuff done wheel and the get stuff done wheel is a is a pretty big section of the book and it's well worth a read but I'll just give you the headings I'll give you the, the whistle stop tour of how you get stuff done you listen clarify debate decide persuade execute learn and then listen again so I'll read those out again listen clarify debate decide persuade execute learn and listen so that wheel is kind of one of those things that's constantly in motion the whole time that you're you're constantly spinning around that you're at you're at some stage of that wheel which is uh, I thought was a re- really uh, a really great way to to um to understand how to run a team or to how to run a project or how to um solve issues that kind of thing. One of the best things she says in the book and I probably say it a lot. I think I say it a lot one of the best things but I just I love finding these books. I love finding the the 
the lifetime's worth of knowledge in these books. So I'm going to stick with it. One of the best things in the book, she says, is that there's three three kinds of conversation uh, to to understand the the uh, the real motivations behind an individual on the team. One is to understand their life story, right? So where did they come from? Where, uh, you know, what 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 are the major experiences in their lives? What are the things that they value most? That kind of thing. Second, then, is to ask them what their dream job is. And be honest, say it doesn't have to be working on this particular team for the rest of your life. And what's your 18-month plan? Like, do you have an idea where you'd like to be in 18 months from now? That's one of the ways, or three of the ways, really, that you can that you can get your point across about it being a a place of uh, of honesty and of openness. Um, the, that, so basically what we've talked about there, what I've talked about, what you've listened to, is the the first part of the book. The second part then is the, the tools and techniques. And I'm actually not going to go into this in a huge amount of detail because I think whether, whether she wrote it this way or not, I don't know. But the... The first part of the book covers a lot of the tools and techniques, I think, like given time and space to develop ideas, listening to your team, um, being caring and direct, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I'll just read out what the the, the three uh, chapters are that she talks about. The tools that you're going to kind of get into place, I suppose, to, um, to make sure that you're becoming a good leader. Uh, the fifth chapter is relationships, is establishing trust, and she talked about how to go about doing it. Number six then is guidance, is to uh, get, give, and encourage praise and criticism, which we talked about a little bit as well. Seven then is team. Actually, sorry, there's four chapters, not three. Seven then is team. It's techniques for avoiding burnout and boredom. I mean that like those things that can be can people can roll their eyes. You know when you go to like a. a, a a day's training and, and the trainer does like icebreakers and stuff and like, oh, oh, don't want to do it and I'm not saying you should do icebreakers with your team but you should do something um, one thing that she talks about when it comes to uh, if you're going to do like off site things or you're going to have like a, a family barbecue or um, you know, like as in a barbecue where all the families come or you're going to go paintballing or whatever right even when things are not mandatory they still come across as mandatory you don't have to come you know it's just you know it'll still come across as mandatory so one of the best things and actually this is something that uh, i just remember now i read this in the book she said one of the best things you can give your team rather than buying them pizzas and bring them paintballing is uh, let them go home early you know it's one of the best things you can do for your team it's just go home just go home and uh, live your life right that's that's uh, one of the best things you can do last thing then the eighth chapter is all about results uh, things you can do to get stuff done together and get them done faster which is um, the ultimate in collaboration really with a team Radical Candor by Kim Scott How to Get What You Want by Saying What You Mean what a book what a read uh, what a great career Kim Scott has had as well uh, it's fascinating to see how somebody can, can um, go around all these huge big companies and um and, and and be honest do great things but then be honest about the mistakes that she made as well so that's it until next time to, to tell two people you know about usebecause.com 
and uh, check out the action log. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you haven't signed up already, go to usebecause.com forward slash subscribe. We are very excited about this. Um, just to reiterate what was said at the very beginning of this episode, uh, you will remember the things that I said in this episode for probably a day or two. And then you'll be on to the next episode or the next thing. What we want to be able to do is to make sure that you retain and then deliberately practice this new information. That's what deeper learning is.